Well, good morning, everyone. How about that, huh? 148 uh, floors. Good morning, Joe. Um, 148 floors up above. How many of you guys can go on that building, look just with glass in front of you, and look over and see Dubai as far up high as you are with 148 floors? Just raise your hand if you think you can do that. Yeah, you guys are all lying. There's no way. There's no way. There's no way. I'm going to tell you right now, just, just looking at that video made my legs just queasy. Um, um, you know, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm not even going to think about it. Uh, it made me nervous just showing that, uh, that video because as high as it was, we've been talking about living on the edge. We've been talking about for the last two weeks, this is our last week, but I was talking about how if you would look and see how this picture shows of a person looking off over off a cliff in the mountainside and imagine that as you're standing on the edge and you have thousands of feet below you and it's just one misstep and you can fall. Um, and at any time you either, you know, the, the, the courage and the fortitude to say, I'm going to jump is unbelievable, and I likened it to us sharing our faith with a stranger, with someone at work, with someone in your neighborhood, a family member, dealing with like hanging out and getting the kids together, and sharing your faith, as scary as that may be. Some of us might even be reluctant because with me, I've got to step back just a couple of steps because I am not going to get involved anywhere close to the edge of a cliff, nor look up 148 stories up and imagine what it looks like going down with the little helicopter going across and the clouds are below me. I'm imagining and saying, no way, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I just don't know. I would not, but I would rather share my faith than do any of those things. But how many of us are afraid to share our faith because we're afraid that someone won't talk to us again? If we share our faith with a friend that we've been hanging out with for a while, we're afraid that they may not ask us to the birthday parties anymore or hanging out. All of a sudden now you're exposed and they're like, I don't want to hang out because the opinions start to come out and the debates start to happen. And then even some hate speech starts to happen. All of a sudden now, sharing your faith comes like this, stepping back, saying, I'm not sure if I want to do it. I don't want to lose my reputation. I am a pleaser. I want to make sure that people take care of me and are wanting me to be at all the parties and hanging out. But living on the edge requires us to take that step. And who knows is where God may open a door for us to share the gospel and someone to be a recipient of his grace that they would receive it and come to faith in Jesus Christ. I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks. I will say this often until you're tired of me saying it. But over 160,000 people will go into eternity every day all around the world. And we have the answer to life, and we have the opportunity to share it, and we're just living on the edge is not some kind of option anymore when God's commanded us to do that. And so it's important for us to recognize there are different ways in which we can share the gospel. Now, 
Two weeks ago, I started us off in this series where we would talk about being initiators, that the Holy Spirit would initiate the opportunity. He would lead it. He would show us. And all we'd have to do is be willing to share the gospel. So God's called us to be initiators through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then God has called us to be imitators, we talked about last week, about living our life before people so that they would want to ask the question. It's called presence evangelism. And as we share the gospel, we share it through our lives, we can be imitators of Christ, and they see why and how how and the purpose of us living, and then they want to know. And so presenting evangelism can be just through your life, but we're still called to proclaim it. We're still called to share the information and invite people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now we're going to talk today about being innovators. Now, innovation can come in all different sizes and shapes and forms, but innovation is just a start off of something. Starting something and hoping that it works. I started a business back in 2005 to 2006. I finished seminary. God didn't seem to open a door for me to be a pastor. And I took a step of faith. God told me to take that step. And it was difficult at the beginning. For three months, I didn't see a whole lot going on. And I thought, okay, Lord, am I missing you? Am I missing your voice? You told me to do this. I'm trusting you. I have a family to take care of. I have a wife and three children. What's going on here? And the Lord's like, just trust me. And I began to just say, okay, God, what's that next step? And innovation means that you're taking that risk, that radical step, to believe something can happen with the Holy Spirit leading you. In just a matter of about two or three weekends, I started on a journey with one customer doing about forty dollars or $50,000 of work. But that was God, because all I did was take a step of faith. And God orchestrated the steps. He opened the doors, and it was cool to see God's hand in our lives at work. And we've seen that for so many times, but when you're looking at innovation, how about sharing your faith? There are different methods out there, different opportunities, um, and which one is it? Which one should we use? Should we use an old method? Should we try to create a new method? And listen, I, I'm one who believes this. If you're gonna share a new method, um, it's gotta be better than the old. And if it's gotta be better than the old, you have to be willing to say that there's got to be something behind that new method. Because I'm one of those who says that it's not about the method, more than it's about the message. And it's about the reality that we have to share. So I've asked a question. I said, what new method should we consider in order to reach the people with the gospel? I don't know if some of you have been in the faith for some time. There's different uh, types and ways that you can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, there's, let me just show you a couple of methods. The pray and say. You just pray for someone, you walk up to them, you pray for them, and you say the gospel as you're praying for them. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute, Bruno, that's like living on the edge. I don't think I want to do that. That seems a little awkward. It seems not so relevant here today, but it's one that they used years ago. Another method was, uh, the, it's called the gospel journey. You used an acronym of the word gospel, and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's the Romans road, the old traditional Romans road, and you go through four verses and you share the gospel. It's actually five verses, you go through the gospel. There's the one-minute gospel. You actually take one minute and share the message of the gospel. There's the four spiritual laws. You can do the steps to peace with God, Billy Graham. But again, you can do all these methods, but is it the method or is it the message? And what we do with that message that matters do you think fire and brimstone will work today? <laughs> the method in our culture today? 
Years ago, Billy Graham, and when he would preach, and thousands of people would come to his evangelism crusades, and people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yet, that was only 3% of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ worldwide. Interesting, isn't it? It's still 95 to 96% of people who come to faith in Christ. It's through relationship. So does it matter which method we use? Or are we going to be interested in using a part of being real? relationships being relevant for today because you can use any method the door-to-door you can use that method although Jehovah Witness has taken over that one um, there's that hand out the track to a stranger I mean you could do it I mean is it gonna work today I don't know but it's sure worth trying or then you can do Ray comforts the way of a master evangelism lay out all the Ten Commandments and allow the individual to admit that they're a sinner and then remind them that they're a sinner through their admitting it and it's, it's a method, it's a technique, it's a way. I mean, you know, Ray Comfort used it along with Kirk Cameron, and they saw people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But of all these methods, even Billy Graham Crusades, what he even said is that you can, you can use the method of evangelism. Even my father-in-law came to Christ through watching one of those. But it's the follow-up. It's the relationship. It's the reaching out. It's being relevant one-on-one with people and being a church that builds that relationship. Because being relevant and being culturally relevant for the church doesn't mean that we would have to then dismiss or belittle the truth of the gospel. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's cool to be innovative and relevant. Um, how many of you use the Version Bible app? Raise your hand. I know there's a lot of hands. Go ahead. There's a lot of hands I can barely see out there. But yes, I'm sure there are. Well, the U version came out in 2012. It was something they had to try. And they didn't know how it was going to come. But Craig Rochelle wanted to do something where he would put the hands or the Bible in the hands of people. Now, I don't know about you, but if you go to work or you go to a party, hi, how you doing? What are you doing? I'm carrying. What's that? My Bible? That's cool. Why are you carrying your Bible? Because I bring my Bible everywhere I go. That would be really awkward. People would look at you saying, this dude is strange, right? It's not relevant. You don't walk around with your Bible. Um, But years ago, people would do that. Today, with innovation and technology, now Craig Rochelle says, what if you could take your Bible with you everywhere you go? Here's your phone. Put it on your phone. It's with you wherever you go. And the app, obviously, we all know is effective. Because the purpose of the app, when in 2012, they saw immediately people with the innovation that over 19 million people downloaded it immediately. And they said 3.5 within a two, two months after that. And it was 5 billion minutes have been read on the Bible immediately. 110 versions, 40 different languages. Now it's expanded over the, over the years. And when it's expanded over the years... It's now used for discipleship, for people to use it for their plans, for devotion. You can use it for your children. Again, today, if you would look up their website, you would see that in their website, 480 million people are on this app with people using it. Now, the problem with innovation is that it does kind of get mundane and they get tired of it. Now, there are people using them. But innovation can only last long as long as there's some kind of substance behind it. And that's critical. 
innovation must have, it requires creativity without breaking from our foundational principles and truths. And so it's important that innovation is being used. Now, let's look, we're going to look at the book of Acts again today, and we're going to look at chapter 11. But before we go there, we have to kind of do a synopsis or just a look back to the first century. Now, even in the first century, Following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we understood the new covenant, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the church age, the inauguration of the Holy Spirit upon believers in Christ. It was innovative. It was a new generation of people. And at this point, the church, the new message of the gospel presented in Jerusalem, especially to the Jew, was not found in Judaism. So it was innovative but only through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, as you see, 11 apostles, a woman, women were there, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And then in verse 15, it states that Peter stood before 120 people. And then we know in chapter 2 that Peter had preached, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and as he preached, people come to faith. He preached to the Jews. This was innovative of that time. I mean, God had made all, all, all over the people with the diaspora of all these Jews moving and witnessing. And they all came back in for the day of Pentecost. All different cultures and people. And the Holy Spirit moves on the people. And then the people of God spent quality time together. They came to faith in Jesus, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship of together, sharing meals, worshiping together, and praying for one another. This was unity in biblical community. So let me ask the question, when's the last time you really worshiped the Lord outside of this context? When's the last time you cried out to the Lord in community with him? When's the last time you got deep into the scriptures in tears because of your sin? Because God was revealing your sin. That's what brings biblical community together. Biblical community doesn't come from just being relevant or even having a contextual reality. Biblical community comes when we come together under the undergirding of the Holy Spirit through the power of the gospel, the message of the gospel. That's when it happens. That's when God is at work. That's why the power of the Holy Spirit was moving in the first century. When the starting of an innovative church was working because people were submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a movement that only God could start. But see, the message will always change. Our message will never change. We see throughout 2,000 years, methods will change over and over again. But this was different too. Their methods were different from Judaism. So as innovators, what must we be in order to reach our present culture and generation. Well, let me just give you a couple of things here. Innovators must be, in my opinion, faithful to the mission. They must be faithful to the mission because relevance is key, but it's key only through the undergirding of the real truth of the gospel. So faithful to the mission. There's the mission. This was given to them by Jesus, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, key word there is witnesses. When you see that word, you would have to go a little bit deeper in the study of it. It says, one who bears the divine message. 
the divine message of the gospel. A person who tells the truth about Jesus. But there's another undergirding need. One who's willing to die for the faith. Martureo in the Greek is where we get the word martyr. So Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, was calling the people of God to witness to the people around them. He was telling them, you need to live on the edge. And living on the edge is you have to be willing to die for the faith. And in that case, in that context, it could easily happen. We saw that. We see that in the book of Acts. We know of a man named Saul who became Paul who made sure that people were killed for the faith. And in chapter 11, 19, we see that that's a familiarity too because they had to focus on and be faithful to what God has called them in the mission. Now I'm going to look with, now as we look at chapter 11, 19, we're also going to go into chapter 8, verse 4 because those two verses correlate with one another. I'm going to read this to you. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So the word meaning the message of the gospel. Now, let me just stop here and just tell you a little bit about the area that, that he was talking about, Luke was writing. Phoenicia was the Mediterranean seacoast area of Syria with Tyra and Sidon as main cities. It was 100 miles long, and normally around, they say, 15 miles wide. Now, Cyprus was an island south of Asia Minor. Barnabas, we know, as that was his original home, and there was a large Jewish colony there. Antioch was the second most important church of its time, next to Jerusalem, and it's the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world, next to Rome and Alexandria. There was over 600,000 people within a, and within five miles of this huge city, even of today, 600,000 is quite large, there were many gods that were worshipped, idol worship, sexual immorality, temple prostitution. I mean, it was cultic prostitution all around them. What a great place to set the feet of the proclamation of the gospel in this city. I mean, most people would run away from this city. Most people would see all this sin, this heinous, outward public sin. But yet, God wanted to make sure his people would settle in in Antioch. And how did he do it? Through persecution. You know that Stephen, God had placed Stephen there. And we understand that when he was persecuted, God set up a plan to get the people of God to share the gospel in areas which we would not dare to venture in. Countries that today we would never venture to go. Places in third world countries where there are totalitarians and tyrants that are killing Christians. We would not dare go there. But if God were to call us, we should go there. We're commanded to go. We must go. We must obey God. And sharing the gospel, even here in America, as convenient, as complacent as we live sometimes and how comfortable it is, that sharing the gospel can still be a challenge because we are also in some form being persecuted for the gospel. Not to the level or equally comparative to a third world country, but yet we can still say in some form that we are. So now, Acts 4, we see this. Same thing. He says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. We understand that, again, they had to ext extend it from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria 
and now the preaching of the word of God. Now, scattering is in a passive form. Why is that? Because God was doing it. God allowed them to scatter. God allowed them for struggle. God permitted them to have trial and tribulation. For what purpose? To spread the gospel. I know it seems ironic. It's an ironic effect. God would use hard times and difficulties to allow his word to spread. We've heard over thousands of stories with missionaries where people were killed and more people came to faith in Jesus Christ. It would seem so opposite of our thinking and our comfort and our complacency, but God's saying, I need to ruffle the feathers in order to get things moving. And so here he is with this faithful mission, and they move forward for the kingdom of God. So as innovators, we must be faithful to the mission. Number two, we must be fearless in sharing the message. Fearless in sharing the message. Now, Acts 11.20, this is what they says. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who are on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. But it just said the verse before that they were only talking to the Jews. But here God in expanding the gospel, bringing forth a people, different people with different cultural backgrounds, uses the people and the men from Cyprus and Cyrene who have a Hellenistic background, meaning a Greek cultural background. And unlike chapter 6 where it says Hellenists were Jews speaking, this one, scholars believe that it were Greek speaking, non-Jews that were Hellenists here. Because the culture was, they couldn't connect with the Jews. So God uses other people to reach people. That's the relationship. See, you and I have to understand that God wants us to be relevant. We want to be church relevant and all around in our culture. But at the same time, we have to bring the relationship that we have with God to others. we got to be real. We have to relate the gospel to others. And what better way than to God to bring people together who have commonality, common likes, so we can minister to those around us. But sometimes it's a fearful place. Sometimes it's scary because, again, as I said earlier, you might lose your friendship at work or with your neighbor if you share the gospel. So you try to find something in common, even if they're not Christian. So what do you do? You try to find something in common. Often what I use as a pastor, even though I tell people I'm a pastor, like, you're a pastor. Yeah, what's this? You don't look like a pastor. I'm like, well, what's it supposed to look like? What's a pastor supposed to look like? And I start talking about sports and I talk about man things and all of a sudden the guys are interested. Like, dude, you're not like this normal Christian I talk to. What do you mean? You talk about sports. You know about things. I'm like, yeah, well, I, mean, I enjoy sports, and I love talking about relevant stuff. But how do we share the gospel? We build the relationship. We proclaim the gospel, and the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts to do so. I've seen God do that in so many times in my life. But I try not to show a picture other than God, use me. Holy Spirit, show me what to do next. It's so important, but it's scary. I'm going to be honest with you. Even as flamboyant and aggressive as I am, it's scary. Because here was Philip. He went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Samaritans were half-breeds. They were neither Jew nor Gentile. They were a people of God, but they, in the north, they pulled away. At the time of the Assyrian Empire, they pulled away. And they began to intermingle with other peoples, the Canaanite people, and then they had intermarriage, and they pulled away. But they still believed they were the people of God. You know the episode of the Samaritan woman? That's why she questioned Jesus about which God do you worship? Because there was 
this hatred towards one another. They were enemies. The Jews believed they were the people of God. The Samaritans believed they were people of God. And Jesus had to make, kick that up straight with the Samaritan woman. But the Samaritan woman was afraid to talk to Jesus, and they were questioning Jesus, why is he talking to a Samaritan woman? But here was Philip doing that. And in verse 6 it says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were them, and many who were paralyzed of the lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. God was at work, moving in the midst. They were afraid. But when the Holy Spirit came, they were fearless. They were bold. Now, I don't know about you, but as I've said, standing on the edge is real scary for me. Standing up on this tall building, 150 stories up, is really, really, really scary. But then I was talking to Chriselle in the office the other day, and I was, you know, she prepares uh, the presentation for me and was asking her some thoughts on what can I do to find a video, something I could show people from far, far up. She goes, well, Pastor Bruno, I actually did a bungee jump once. I said, you did? I said, are you, are you serious? She said, yes. I said, how far did you drop? She goes, about a seven, 708 feet. And I said, uh, girl, the last time I checked, a story was 10 feet from what I checked, but I'm not sure if it's clear. She goes, yeah, let me look that up. She looked it up. She goes, uh-huh. And I, my legs were like queasy again. I'm like, I'm looking at her. I'm like, are you serious? She goes, yeah, I even have a video of it. I said, you do? She goes, yes. I said, are you sure it's 700? Yeah, let me look that up. She goes, yeah, it was 708 feet. I'm just looking at her with my eyes. I'm saying, girl, are you serious? I just couldn't believe it. Now, some of you guys have probably said, oh, I could do that. I could do that. I know I'm a kind of a mamsy-pamsy kind of guy. Maybe I'm just afraid, <laughs> and I don't want to do a bungee jump. Got a wife and four kids. Uh, I got a good excuse, right? But here's the thing. I said, could, could I use that? She's like, yeah, you can show it if you want. Here she goes. Here's our Chriselle. That's Chriselle. Yeah! She's my new bodyguard. Okay, all right. Innovators take chances. They're fearless. That girl is fearless. It blew my mind. I just couldn't believe that. Number three, innovators must be flexible in their methods. Now, I just share this quick point here. They need to be flexible. Because just like the Cyrene, the men from Cyrene or Cyrus, they were the ones that were willing to extend it and reach out to a Gentile. They were willing to be flexible. See, it, again, with Judaism in the temple and sharing and teaching, here they are on the road, and they're willing to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that's mundane today as 21st century Christians. I know it doesn't sound innovative for us. But it was at the first century time. And as innovation began, they were innovators willing to be flexible and being used by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not about the method we use. It's the message that we share. That's what really happens. We need to be relevant. And when we're used of God and we're flexible and we're saying, God, use me because the mission still stays the same throughout centuries upon centuries upon centuries. God says, just let me use you as an instrument and you'll be used to me to lead others to Christ. This is what happened. 
But verse 21 is real simple. After being flexible, it says, And the hand of God, the hand of the Lord, was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The word hand means, I know you think it's just a hand, right? You know, we're with God, the hand of the Lord. It means in the Greek, an acting agent, the power of God. It was God's power that allowed these people to come to faith. It's a miracle when God does that. And when God does a miracle, he uses us in the midst of a miracle. But we have to be flexible, not stuck in our ways, not thinking that evangelism only happens here in the building. Or evangelism happens when I feel like doing it for the day. Or if God seems to really open up the door. That's what it takes to be flexible. You know, our methods should always be relevant. But our message should always be real also. And I think that's important for us. See, relevance is an offshoot of relational living. Because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. At any time, anywhere, God can use you however he sees fit. All you and I have to be is be willing and available. That's all it is. You know, for many years, the other, I don't know, it was a couple weeks ago, and I'm terrible at this. I am not the poster child for doing this right. But let me tell you something. When someone comes to the door and they're trying to sell a roof or, or windows, I'm the first guy to say, hey, yeah, been there, done that, see ya. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you right now. I get you out of my way. You're, you're bothering me, right? That's the kind of, hey, oh, you know, I got something to do, right? Well, there was this one time um, that I went to go open the door, and Joy was like, oh, no, there's someone else here to sell us something. Okay. And I went to go grab the doorknob, and the Holy Spirit said, slow down. I said, okay, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? He goes, talk to this person. Open up the door, screen front porch, you know, screen storm door there. He goes, can I sell you something? I opened up the door, went outside to talk to him. Started talking to him, small talk. We got into a discussion, a really cool one. What happened? We forgot about windows. We forgot about roof. We started talking about the gospel. And he said, pray for him. You know, before I prayed for him, he shared with me that he was once walking with the Lord. And he pulled away. And he says, you've been searching. And I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? He said, pray for him right now. I prayed over him. He was in tears. I was in tears. I forgot what we were there for. All I remember is that the Lord told me to listen, to listen to him. God used it as an opportunity for me to minister to him. For many years, I've lost that opportunity because of my stubbornness and my pride and all of the above. And God said, listen to my voice. Listen to these people. I need to do more of that. God gave me an opportunity. I was able to share the gospel and minister to him. God has given us opportunities wherever we go. We just got to be flexible. Last thing innovators need to be, focused on the mandate. Focused on the mandate. This is what I love about this passage, because innovation is just about to happen. It says, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. This is Barnabas, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. See, Barnabas, in verse 22 the, the church of Jerusalem, the apostle said, hey, Barnabas, although you're not an apostle, we want you to be a delegate. Go check out Antioch and what's going on. We're hearing about things that are happening down there. 
okay, sure, 340 miles, go ahead. And there's no train, there's no plane, there's no car, there's no nothing. Uh, take a long walk or find a horse and get down there. So with dedication and commitment and focused on the mandate, he goes 340 miles. And he goes down there and he sees what's happening. God reveals it to him and he's glad. He's rejoicing. And in fact, exhorted is a discipleship term that means come alongside of. And he's telling them you need to remain faithful to the Lord with purpose of heart. Actually, that word, I really love the version of the NET because it gives highlight of, it actually says, encourage them all to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Because the word heart is in the Greek. They were purposed in their heart. God added to the church. God was the one who did it. All Barnabas did was go down there and travel 340 miles. That's all he was there for. God called him. He didn't do anything other than what the Holy Spirit set up for him to do. Because it said he was a good man, verse 24, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added. He was just willing, available, fearless. He was faithful. He was flexible. He said, okay, I'll go. And he focused on what he knew was the mandate. He was the sons of encouragement. He was willing. And you and I could be the same if we're just willing. So Barnabas, what it says, it goes, he went on to, to Tarsus to look for Saul. Another 150 miles there and another 150 miles back. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it's 300 miles. I mean, guys, we have a hard time traveling three miles, 10 miles, 15 miles. Now, I don't encourage anybody to be in a church if you're 15, 20 miles away, but it's good if God's called you to it. But these guys are willing to go 300 plus miles to share the gospel. Wow. Today, third world countries, that's what pastors are doing. They're going hundreds of miles to share the gospel. We need a swift kick in the pants once in a while to make sure we're reminded of how important it is because here's the innovation for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people because God was giving them people to teach. You know, how are you and I going to be able to see a church growing and filling in the seats? By proclaiming the gospel, preaching the gospel. It doesn't just happen only here. Each and every one of us have the opportunity to live on the edge, to share the gospel in all of our contexts, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, with our friends for the kingdom of God. And each one has an opportunity. We give you resources. You can use your methods. You can use your resources. But the key component is the message of the gospel. When was the last time? You and I were willing to share the gospel. I've been praying and asking God to give me opportunities. But sometimes we just got to seek those opportunities and say, God, help me. In recent weeks, I've seen new people come and visit our church. I've seen people, you know, asking people to come. That's a part of it, and that's a great step. I love that step. And we need to keep going forward, focused on the mandate, because evangelism will lead to discipleship. If you've been here a long time and you've been discipled, but you have no desire to share the gospel, Houston, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. We're not doing something right here. I want to encourage you. If you are a disciple of Christ, share the gospel. You and I have got the gift of life, the answer to life. We could be about an instrument of God to change someone's eternity. For the kingdom of God. That's what God's calling us all to do. 
to be innovators. See, innovators learn Christ, they live Christ, and they let others know about Christ. That's what it comes down to. It's the spirit of the living God. You know, Acts 11, 15, 18, it says this. I love this because towards the end of Peter speaking about Cornelius, although these two stories don't connect, there's a disconnect. It's working in the backdrop. There's another episode. Peter said this in verse 15 through 18. He says, I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. He says, I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, if then God gave the same gift to them, the Gentiles, as he gave to us Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. We have the gift. We have the gospel. We can share it with those who are far away. What a great opportunity for us every day. Every day is innovation. Every day is a new opportunity. Every day is a new start. You can start anything wherever you want to go in your neighborhood. You reaching people can be strategic. And in due time, you can proclaim the gospel, you can present the gospel, and God can use you to persuade someone to faith in Christ. But we need to be innovative. We need to be relevant with the real message. We need to be focused on the mission and faithful to the mission. We need to be flexible. We need to be fearless and focused on the mandate. I'd invite you, if there's someone in your life Someone that you need to reach, a family member, write that person's name down. I believe they'll come to faith. Because if we truly are committed to it, God will make it happen. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you for reminding us. As this sermon series has reminded us that we need to be initiators through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be imitators, sharing Christ, living out Christ. And Lord, today we need to be innovators just as it was in the first century. Help us, Lord, to come out of this time in our period of our history where now we're getting out into the public and we have the opportunity to engage with people in our culture and to talk to people. God, I pray that through it we will share Christ. Give us opportunities, Lord. Let us be a light. Everyone can have the opportunity who knows Jesus to share the gospel. We can learn about you, Lord Jesus. We can live Christ out and we can let others know. God, I just pray that today that we would truly be useful for the kingdom of God and the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, before you guys leave, let me just remind you. You guys did a really great job today. I saw a lot, a lot of people come a little bit sooner than normal, and that's great. But next week, uh, I want to encourage you. We are having uh, communion, and uh, we're having communion at the very beginning of the service. We'll have... Uh, just some signs on the doors to remind you. We'll be sending out a Grace Connect reminder this week. We'll make sure we'll remind you. But I want to encourage you next week, please, if you're intending to show up, which we hope you will, to make sure that you can, can join us for communion at 11 o'clock. Uh, we would encourage you to do so. We will start. There will be no announcement time. It'll just be communion into the music and into the message. So we, we want to make sure and encourage you 
uh, to do that, to come next week. And by the way, if you guys could put up that Happy Father's Day slide, could you do that for me real quick? Happy Father's Day to all you who are out there who are fathers. We're so grateful for you guys. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.